Welcome to Cities Down South, a show about where we live and how we live in the American South. Today we're talking with Ashby Worley. She's the Coastal Resilience Manager for the Nature Conservancy in Georgia. Ashby is an environmental scientist and an advocate who has been in this space for a long time as a as a researcer and as a uh, riverkeeper for the Satilla River here in coastal Georgia. And she's here to tell us about some of the threats facing this region and some of the things that we can do as residents to prepare and to strengthen our coastal ecology, uh, either through man-made means or um, things like green infrastructure and other ways of managing our natural environments that are so important and that can help us prepare and withstand some of the challenges that are coming to this region and to the entire coast all over the United States, um, probably over the next couple decades. And so thank you so much for Ashby for coming to talk to us. Do you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, um, I'm Ashby Nix Worley. I'm the Coastal Climate Adaptation Director for the Nature Conservancy here in Georgia, uh, based out of Brunswick, Georgia, and been with TNC since uh, late 2016. Though I'm not originally from Georgia's coast, my family is from Brunswick and Jessup and have been in the area for several generations. But originally, I'm from Canton, Georgia, which is now kind of greater Atlanta. <laughs> but at the time, it was kind of foothills of the mountains. Um, but I've been down here since I was, gosh, I started coming down. I mean, I've come down here a lot, you know, with family to the beaches and whatnot. But I started working here in the summers, um, straight out of high school, um, working for DNR, Coastal Resources Division, on things like shellfish and water quality program. Went off to school, actually did my first year of school here at Coastal Georgia, um, which was great. And then I went off to Mercer University and did environmental science degree there. Um, came back down to Brunswick in the coast, worked for UGA Marine Extension Service um, in their water quality lab and, and also oyster reef restoration work, which was just kind of kicking off at the time. And yeah, then I went off to grad school, uh, went to LSU for environmental science and wetland sciences. Um, you know, the land of wetlands in Louisiana, which is a fantastic place to study and and uh, wrap your head around all the challenges with resilience and, you know, Deepwater Horizon occurred while I was there in grad school. And uh, I was just coming in after uh, one of the big hurricanes, I think it was Gustav. So, you know, it's a incredible laboratory to learn from down there. And so did a couple of years of school there and wanted to basically bring those that information, that knowledge, the skills back to my home state where I felt like I could make a difference and, and play a role in our own coastal health and uh, economy. And how did you start doing that? Because you didn't start at Nature Conservancy, right? Yeah, correct. So I, out of grad school, I came back to the coast, came back to Brunswick. And my first job out of grad school was working for the University of Georgia Marine Institute on Sapelo Island. So I worked with them for about a year doing um, all kinds of uh, monitoring, coastal monitoring on things like marsh grass and water quality in the area. They have a whole program called the Long-Term Ecological Research Program at Sapelo. So I was basically a technician there, got to be involved in a lot of different studies, work with a lot of different researchers, you know, looking at our coast and the health of the coast. And then even at the time, I think that was, gosh, 2012, starting to look at things like sea level rise, you know, saltwater impacts on marsh grass. Is that changing the ecosystem? Is that changing the species that are living there? So that was really interesting and kind of my first, I guess, hands-on experience with 
monitoring climate, you know, here on Georgia's coast. Um, I then went from that position to a pretty unique position um, that really helped me learn a lot about the nonprofit world. And that was uh, when I became Satilla Riverkeeper in 2013. Satilla Riverkeeper is a nonprofit organization, very small. Really, I was the only employee and executive director there. Worked there for about three and a half years. And it's a great organization that really is about protecting and educating about the watershed in the Satilla Basin. And so worked with board of directors, you know, things from fundraising to educating about the the environment, um, policy, working directly with communities on challenges in the watershed. So it's the full spectrum in that job, science to policy to to fundraising. Um, But that's what really kind of allowed me to jump into the nonprofit world and had a steep learning curve, but but in, but enjoyed it a lot and learned learned a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I'm familiar with um, some of the other river keepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chattahoochee River Warden was yeah. one of the ones that I interacted with a, a good bit. Uh, uh, yeah, which I think has changed names. I think it's now the the River Conservancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the river keepers across the state work together um, on state policy issues. So you know, a, an issue happening in the Satilla watershed is often you know, a similar issue in other watersheds. So they oftentimes work together for kind of a greater impact in the state. And uh, it's a great network that they've got going on there. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit, you know, from your expertise, what, you know, we all kind of have this idea of vaguely that the coast is vulnerable to, mm-hmm. for a variety of different reasons, you know, particularly and most notably and most visibly from storms and hurricanes and, and flooding in that mm-hmm. manner. But kind of mm-hmm. what kind of other things, I mean, obviously those, but what kind of other things are you um, at the Nature Conservancy, what what kind of other challenges are we facing overall? Yeah. So my role at the Nature Conservancy is really about promoting nature-based solutions to climate and climate adaptation. So we know that Georgia's coast, along with much of the coastline really around the world, but definitely in the U.S. as well, is already experiencing those impacts of climate change. So, you know, we've seen the storms, you know, in 2016, 2017, that have really impacted our coast. And we're seeing things like sea level rise, you know, starting to see the impacts of that on ecosystems or in, you know, those high tide events that are covering our coastal roads on certain certain days and, and causing our communities to reroute around them. So, The Nature Conservancy really promotes the fact that nature that's already here, things like wetlands, um, oyster reefs, uh, sand dunes and beach dunes that exist along our coast and that we're lucky to have these wonderful barrier islands in Georgia, um, our floodplains along the rivers, all of these things have already been and historically have been helping protect our coastal communities from things like storm surge or flooding and will increasingly be important in the future, as we start to see impacts of sea level rise, larger, um, intense storms on our coast. So our role is really to help preserve those systems moving forward. You know, our coastline is continuing to develop. Coastlines across the U.S., you know, are continuing to, to develop and increase in population. So that really puts a kind of an interesting challenge on our coast of more people are here, more development is happening, but also more coastal hazards are being felt on our coast. So that really puts not only endangered people, but also those natural ecosystems that are so important. You know, they're not only important because they reduce storm surge and 
and observe floodwaters, but they're also important for multitude of other reasons, you know, coastal economy, fisheries, water quality, carbon storage, aesthetics, tourism, you know, all these multiple other benefits. But one critical one is that risk reduction uh, service that they're providing. So yeah, so so the Nature Conservancy, we've been involved in this space for quite some time, and we have several projects with local communities, particularly in Glen County and Camden County, which is close to you know where I, where I live here on the coast. And we really try to work directly with those communities to help bring tools and resources that can help them be more resilient in the face of climate change. You know, when I sit down and think about you know, what are the solutions that communities can be doing to be more resilient? You know, certainly they can continue to grow, but it's really about smart land use, in my opinion. You know, it's about where are we building? How are we building? Is that the right spot for a home or a, a housing complex? Or is it flood prone now? Is it flood prone within 30 years, you know, the lifetime of a mortgage? So really it's about considering the future scenarios and the future impacts of climate with the actions that are being taken today. So, you know, one of our goals is to be able to provide this science and data to the coastal communities, things like sea level rise information and graphs and, you know, online tools that can help them visualize where the water will be, when, and, and so that that ultimately helps inform things like zoning, things like where should parks or conservation be, because maybe that's a flood prone area or, you know, maybe that's a better as a, a park that's allowed to flood occasionally, you know, and, and that's okay versus putting a housing development there that's going to then need uh, the house be raised in 10 years or people be rescued, you know, in the next hurricane if they're residing there. So really it's about, you know, providing the tools and the data to help them make those decisions today that make them more resilient tomorrow. You know, let's, let's keep in mind what our coast is going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years so that we can do smart investments today and protect that those natural areas, you know, that are really important today, but will be even more important tomorrow because of climate. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit. Why don't we use that and, and go into some of the projects you've been working on? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the first projects that we worked on was with Camden County. Right when I started in 2016, we started. We had conversations with key Camden County um, officials and stakeholders about resiliency issues or concerns or um, gaps in their community that they wanted help with. During our conversations, we actually had, uh, I think we went through at least one hurricane during that time. So that was a learning experience for them and for us to say, you know, okay, well, what, what just happened and, and what needs to happen next next time so that this is uh, we're more resilient and, and the community bounces back more healthily and faster. So those conversations basically ended up, um, well, at the same time, FEMA was coming out with their new flood maps and the community was seeing an interesting situation where the new flood maps, you know, it was just after a hurricane and that was Hurricane Matthew. And the new FEMA flood maps came out, you know, several months later. And the new flood maps actually said, were showing that these coastal areas, certain coastal areas east of 95, were now less vulnerable to flooding. And that was really just due to, you know, new information like digital information, you know, uh, satellite detailed information showing elevation. But at the same time, you know, these properties had just flooded. So it was a confusing thing for the community to say, okay, well, this my flood zone changed to a less severe flood zone, 
but I just got flooded by a hurricane, you know? So it was very confusing to the community. And we also had to keep in mind that these FEMA flood maps did not incorporate the recent hurricane information. You know, their, their modeling takes years to do to create these maps. But also FEMA flood maps at the time didn't include sea level rise information. So it's not talking about future projections. It's talking about today, you know, the, the modeling of, of today's uh, land and, and flooding risk. So what the county wanted to do is really provide a, a place to, to show that future flood risk for the community so that they would take into consideration, yes, your FEMA flood maps that are on the ground right now, but also what's the future flooding risk of that property or that area. So, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road, what does sea level rise look like there? Uh, what does storm surge, you know, look like or, or predicted for these areas? And really the goal was to provide that future flood risk information and data with their local, very local data. So their zoning information, their parcel maps, their roads layer, their um, infrastructure and critical facilities information in a one-stop shop or one-stop you know, website that they can explore and click on different links, explore different scenarios, both current and in the future, so that that can help ultimately inform those land use decisions, the conservation decisions, the zoning, the infrastructure decisions that are happening in the, in the community, because that was really something that they didn't have. And, and we thought, you know, here's a a great place to work with them and kind of a ultimately a foundation of resilience building. You know, let's take the data and the knowledge and the information and put it all in one place so that everyone can have access to it and use it. So that was actually it was a great project. It was uh, funded by DNR Coastal Resources Division through their Coastal Incentive Grant. Uh, we had great partners with that project uh, with the City of St. Mary's, Camden County, actually CRC as well was part of that. We had things like a fact sheet created. Uh, we've got a great website uh, that holds all the data that can be found on both the Camden County and the St. Mary's floodplain management websites. So you can find links to it there. Um, we also created some really interesting um, kind of short video clips that we could put out on social media. And we actually have them um, on those websites as well as kind of little training videos for the tool. So it was a great first project. And uh, I know the county and the city were excited about it. It was kind of a, filling a gap for them um, in terms of their, their needs and really can continue to be a resource for them into the future. You know, this is kind of the basis of here's Here's the data that you can look at, you know, when decisions are happening in the community and, and everyone can be looking at the same information and get the same data. So along with that, we created this other tool called the FEMA CRS Open Space Explorer tool. And if you're not familiar with the FEMA CRS program, it's called the Community Rating System Program, which most communities in Georgia, along Georgia's coast are involved with. And basically it's a, I consider it like a carrot approach to, um, flood risk or, or floodplain management. It helps reward communities that are going above and beyond the minimum standards for the National Flood Insurance Program and basically gives them points for extra flood risk reduction activities that they're doing in the community. And one of the major point categories is preserving open space in the floodplain. So if you've got flood prone areas in the floodplain that you're protecting or maybe decreasing density of development in, then you basically get points for that, which ultimately ends up, uh, the more points you have, the more discount your citizens get on their flood insurance every year. So that can actually end up being hundreds of thousands of dollars saved in the community 
and that money ends up staying in the community and not going to the federal government. Yeah, that's like a real, that's a real, you know, incentive. That's, that's like hard dollars that people can understand. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's a great approach because usually communities see value in taking these extra steps because it ends up in dollars saved for their residents and their stakeholders, money that's, you know, goes to local shops rather than goes to the feds. So this tool ultimately helps identify future flood prone areas and current flood prone areas that, you know, if you protected this large space that was flood prone, you would get X amount of points, you know, towards your CRS program. So it helps kind of lay out a little bit of a roadmap and gives you the estimated points per parcel so that they can help prioritize, okay, well, here's a piece of land that we want to make sure is conserved in a certain way so that maybe no development occurs. And that ultimately helps the county with those points. So it's a great tool that the floodplain manager in Camden can use to help kind of guide where they want to do preservation. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. I love this idea because we're all familiar, I think, with the big FEMA maps big old big floodplain maps and flood risk maps and storm surge maps that show up from NOAA, the National Hurricane Center, like when there's a storm approaching, but they're really, they're big chunky things, right? They're, they're very broad and very large and very aggregate. And this seems to be like a really nice way to shrink it down and make it extremely relevant to me, like a person who lives in this exact city in this exact parcel. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the goal really, you know, is to take these national data sets and really pair it with the local community data sets so that they're looking at, you know, they can zoom in to parcel level or they can zoom into a, a city and really see, okay, we're considering rezoning this, but it's really flood prone. Okay. We need to consider ways to make that resilient, you know, uh, building the way it's built, where the house is placed, the density, things like that. So we completed that project. We wrapped it up earlier this year, early 2021. And we, we're lucky enough to get grant funding for another project through the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation for what's called a resiliency implementation work plan for Camden County. So this is basically a work plan that we really set out about a year or a year and a half to, to tackle this project. It's a work plan to be able to work with the cities and the county to identify resiliency projects that can be implemented, that are needed and can be implemented as soon as funding becomes available. So, you know, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different plans and studies and research, which is really great in Camden County. This happened over the last couple of years, but also, you know, hurricanes have also happened and and other flooding events. So this is kind of aimed to be a one-stop shop plan that helps identify and prioritize projects for the cities and for the county based on their input and based on that data that they can start implementing that builds resilience. So we've just kicked off that project with partners with UGA Carl Vinson Institute and then a contractor, GMC, which is Goodwin Mills and Kaywood. We just kicked that off a couple of months ago and we're doing interviews. We have a stakeholder committee and I think it's going to be a really great product that is informed and ultimately created by the community that helps really just get that pipeline of nature-based projects that, you know, once funding is available, whether that's through FEMA, through Department of Defense, through Georgia Outdoor Stewardship Act, you know, multiple grant opportunities for flood risk reduction using nature-based solutions that are out there. That way they have a list of these projects that they can just, you know, go ahead and start applying for and get them on the ground. So our goal is to really just help them line up those projects and prioritize them 
and then ultimately connect them with funding so that they can get projects on the ground and going. Well, talk to me a little bit when we say nature-based solutions. We've talked about it a little bit in terms of kind of the amenities that those, that the cities have in terms of barrier islands and marshlands kind of protecting against storm surge and things like that. But those aren't those aren't projects, right? Those are natural assets that are already there that require some management, but they, they are there already. What kind of projects would we would be we be talking about kind of here? Yeah, yeah. So it could be anything from, you know, a wetland restoration project that helps preserve a wetland and maybe bring back natural hydrology in an area that can help absorb floodwaters and, and you know make an area a little bit less flood prone. It could be things like living shorelines along an eroding bank, which then uses oyster shells and natural vegetation, native vegetation, to help that bank become less erosional and also provides habitat. Um, It could be things like, you know, restoring sand dunes along our beaches, you know, in certain areas. It could be things like buffers along eroding banks or along areas that are flood prone. I would say the same for floodplain protection. You know, if you've got you know, if you've got the space that's already kind of natural or, or undeveloped, you know, perhaps preserving an area would help make that more resilient or help make the communities that are just inland or just upland a little bit more resilient because it preserves that function of that, that wetland and the, the floodplain. There's a lot of different nature-based solution type projects and some, you know, are really are nature-based. And then there are some that, you know, sometimes nature-based isn't always doable. Then you can look at kind of green, what we call green-gray infrastructure. So yeah, it may have like a typical gray infrastructure component to it, but maybe there are some green aspects that can be incorporated, like oyster shells, you know, around an area or, you know, bioswales and things like that, that are, yes, they are man-made, but they kind of mimic a natural system in the area. So yeah, there's a wide variety of of techniques and ways that resilience can be built kind of incorporating nature. When it comes to the public, especially here on Georgia's coast, I think there's a lot of different ways that people can be involved in building the resiliency of their community. I think that number one would be be knowledgeable or educate yourself about the current and future risk of your own property and maybe your own community. You know, not just yourself, but maybe your neighbors, maybe those who have less resources in your community. What what are the risks there in terms of flooding? You know, what areas are flood prone? I think then you can make smart decisions when it comes to building, you know, building up or building away from eroding banks, um, from flood prone areas. You know, there's those are some personal I know decisions that I look at as a homeowner in the city of Brunswick, you know, my investment, where's my money, you know, uh, is it at risk of flooding? Is it, is my home at risk of flooding? What can I do to make sure that my assets are protected, you know, from the get-go without having to resort to defenses like seawalls and that sort of thing? Making sure you build up and build in smart places that, you know, will be protected in the future. I think also advocating for your local decision makers to be knowledgeable about flood risk in your area and hopefully getting them to start taking actions that build resiliency in the community, whether that's infrastructure or your wastewater treatment systems, making sure that they're ready for the next storm or ready for the next 10 to 20 years of sea level rise. That can also mean any other critical services in the community. So making sure that you're advocating for resiliency with your local decision makers, not only for them to understand and know the 
the facts and the data and the science, but also for them to start putting money towards these types of projects and not making decisions that they're going to regret down the road because they're poorly placed development or putting people at risk. And then lastly, I'll just say the Nature Conservancy is always, um, you know, we've got a great Facebook page. We've got a newsletter as well. So, you know, we have memberships. If anybody wants to join, you know, feel free to do that. Check out our website. We've got more information about our work. Perfect. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Ashby. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me to talk. It's exciting work and it's becoming more important every day. And there's a lot of good partners in the area working on this as well. And that's it for today's episode of Cities Down South. Thank you so much to Ashby for taking the time to talk to me and to tell us about all of her great work that she's doing in this region and for the entire state of Georgia and, you know, by extension for for our entire region across the South. We are all we are all heavily connected. If that's that's one thing we need to learn about green infrastructure and ecology and, and all of these things really bring us all together and, and really connect us all. Cities Down South is a production of the Coastal Regional Commission of Georgia with support from the Georgia Department of Transportation. For more information, please check out Ashby's organization, The Nature Conservancy, and go ahead and check out us here at the Coastal Regional Commission of Georgia at crc.ga.gov. Thanks so much. Hope to see you next time.